You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers with Saya, Anissa, and Borama. I'm Anissa. I'm Borama. And today we have a very special guest. So we have the extremely talented Freby Krebsis. She is an expert on the Boys Over Flowers extended universe, which is a term I have coined, and now we're using it. <laughs> and she actually convinced me to watch F4 Thailand with her amazing recaps. Oh, amazing. I thought I convinced you. <laughs> no, no, wait. We have to let Frabby say hi first. <laughs> we're too excited. Sorry. Hi, I'm Frabby. I used to call myself a Boys Over Flowers apologist, and now I've bumped myself up to a Boys Over Flowers scholar. <laughs> You absolutely are. <laughs> That's well deserved. And I'm probably best known online for writing episode by episode recaps. Not all of all the episodes because I was deep in my dissertation when F4 Thailand was coming out, but a fair amount of them that it was sufficient procrastination. So <laughs> I feel that. And also, they were brilliant. Brilliant oh, recaps. Thank you. <laughs> This is the kind of productive procrastination that I aspire to. Like, if I could write like that while I was procrastinating, that would be so amazing. <laughs> I kept telling myself, "I'm okay. I need to stop episode four. I need to not write any more for this. I've got so much other. Th- I've got so many other things to do." And then, uh, and then I'd just be like, "Oh no, the episode's too rich. What am I going to do?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, congratulations. I mean, did you finish your dissertation? I did. <laughs> So congratulations on that, despite all the drama. Somehow, got that done. (laughs) Amazing. So, I mean, I feel like this is something that we've been inevitably approaching since we started this podcast, just by virtue of our name. But it's been five years, almost. (laughs) And now we're finally talking about the Boys Over Flowers franchises Long yeah the the funny thing about the name of the podcast is that when we were looking for names for this podcast because we, we had originally been what were we stars in our pocket stars in my pocket yeah i remember that <laughs> and then we were like that's not quite on brand like we need something that has some that has literally drama in it and um i think saya coined uh, or did you coin um the name dramas over flowers became our name despite me being the only one who's watched Boys Over Flowers. Anissa no, no, no. being... No, wasn't it? I watched Boys Over Flowers too. <laughs> oh, I thought you you abandoned it halfway through. Okay, no, no, wait, hold on. So Anissa was the one who had watched Hana Yuri Rango and Boys Over Flowers. Uh, At that time... I did abandon it halfway through, uh, but I uh, feel like that counts as watching no, it. I don't think it counts as watching it. If you haven't got... If you hadn't get, suffered through the second half, it doesn't count as watching <laughs> um, Boys Over Flowers. <laughs> And uh, and so I hadn't watched any of it. So and I I was I was quite happy to have that be the name because it was I I, I never really called myself a boys over flowers apologist, but I may as well have been. Like I could see all of the problems, and I think I watched it thrice. Not all the way through, but because the second half does get very painful, so you fast forward through a lot of it. But especially the first twelve episodes. Definitely the Korean version. The Korean version. Watch it thrice. Mm-hmm. Hara Yuri Dango watched twice. It's um I completely understand Anisa's love for it. And Anisa's gonna give us like her thoughts on on, on this entire series. This was my story. Anisa go. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I um I Hana Yuri Dango was my first Asian drama. Same. So it's very special to me. Oh no, wait, okay. Yeah, actually I wanna hear all about like your history with this franchise too, but Speaking of the name, Saya did come up with it. And I feel like 
not only was it so iconic for me as a property because it was like sort of the thing that sparked my love of, you know, East Asian dramas, but it was like, I feel like for 10 years, everyone I talked to about Korean dramas was like, oh yeah, I watched Boys Over Flowers. That was my gateway drama. And so even though like personally, the Korean version wasn't something that I enjoyed at all. I knew what a huge weight it had in the fandom. So when Saya came up with this name, I was like, yes, absolutely. This is a perfect name. Like this is, this is the name, right? Like you hear it, you're like, yeah. So Frabby, what's your relationship to this? Well, it is really interesting that you chose to call the podcast Dramas Over Flowers. Because I think the thing is, even if you're ambivalent about it or you haven't watched it, everyone knows it. It's just that iconic. Mm -hmm. And it was actually, it was my gateway drama as well. Like I watched... Um, Japanese dramas long before I found Korean dramas and so my first Same. one was Haneori Dango and I liked it enough to keep going and you know so I went through a bunch and then I finally found my way to Boys Over Flowers and again liked it enough to keep going and I think the the more unique thing about it is that a lot of people will watch Boys Over Flowers they'll be like I like these tropes there's something really special about this medium and then keep going and they'll sort of either forget about Boys Over Flowers or just kind of come to sort of hate it a little bit. I know a lot of people mm. who do. I think that's completely fair because there's a lot to hate. But at the same time, I, I keep coming back to it because I have this just fascination with it. I think, you know, you've got the main tropes. You've got uh, rich man, poor woman, um, enemies to lovers, things like that. And, you know, I'm sure anyone can name like at least five other dramas that just do all of those things better. And yet there's something about it that just keeps bringing people back to it and it's constantly still being readapted. So I've seen um, seven adaptations of the manga, <laughs> six of the official wow. ones and one unofficial one. Oh, and then also a sequel. So <laughs> wow. Okay. Can you list those for us? Would you mind listing those for us? Okay, so there's Hanagu Yudango 2005, the Japanese series. I've also yeah. seen the 1995 Japanese film, which is horrible. Don't watch it. It's on YouTube, but don't watch it. <laughs> I've seen the Korean version, Boys of the Flowers. I have seen Meteor Garden 2018. I couldn't stand it. I've I me mean, neither. I, I had to stop. Uh, it was oh, just horrendous. No, no, why? I understand why people loved it because there were things to love in there, but it was just so Sure, but it was like it was still toxic and they tried to sanitize it and yeah. neither worked. <laughs> no, and it was so bloated as well. It felt like it was sort of worshipping the original manga. It was like, we're going to adapt everything. But there's True. plenty in the manga that can be cut out. And there's mm -hmm. also plenty mm. that just doesn't stand up to today's standards. And you think a show that came out in 2018, it should understand that this manga that was written in the 90s isn't going to be appropriate to adapt word for word in today's climate like it's not it's not good for like young girls and it's unpleasant to watch you know scenes of like sexual violence for instance on today's tv used yeah. as like this medium to bring a couple together it's it's just mm -hmm. unpleasant <laughs> so i didn't like that one i've also seen a uh, let's go watch the meteor shower which is the unofficial chinese drama version and uh they think they literally called it unofficial because they just didn't get the rights to the manga, but they wanted to adapt <laughs> it anyway. <laughs> and that one's actually pretty good. Long, but good. I don't know that one. Now that I'm, uh, now that I'm listing all of these, I realise I'm ambivalent to a lot of them. <laughs> mm. And yet still fascinated for some reason. So I have, a, I have a question. Did you read the manga first? Because I read the manga first, and that's actually how I discovered... Because so I remember... 
I think it was like 2007, 2008, I was I was reading the Inuyasha manga uh. and then I got into the Inuyasha anime. And then like I was looking for and, you know, I was just going through like a period where I was reading a lot of shoujo manga. And so I felt I like I started reading Hanoi Dango, and then I was like, oh, is there an anime for this? And this is like, you know, 2007, eight internet. Like I, I found like maybe one sort of distorted Mm-hmm. like video player that was like stretching the video in a weird way for the, like, the, four like, by three. <laughs> yeah 1995 anime and I was like and the animation was terrible um but then I found out that there had been a drama so I watched so I watched the drama and I don't think that I I think I was disturbed by a lot of the things that I saw in the manga but like there's something about watching things in a co- like looking at things in a comic that kind of dilutes how disturbing they are I think like especially like manga is so over exaggerated that I don't think like it hit me some of the things I was like whoa this is bad you know um but then the Japanese live action adaptation was I mean it gets rid of a lot of that stuff it does so it was like a story that I already enjoyed but it was such a good adaptation and then so that I loved it from the beginning but did you when did you read the manga? Because I, I see from your recaps that you have read it. Yes, no, I haven't read all of it. I read I read a fair portion of it. I actually read it after finding the anime. I um was really into uh, anime, but specifically like shoujo romance anime around 2012. Um, mm. And I found it, I came across it. I watched most of the anime and I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> I was at that point familiar with all of the cliches and I was like, this isn't, I don't like any of the characters. I I don't understand why they're drawn to each other. They've got no chemistry. I watched the whole anime, and then when I you know, stumbled upon the fact that they had a live action drama, I was like, well, I I know this story. I'll give it a go, and I did. And the thing about Hanayori Dango is that yes, it changes a lot of it, and I think that was probably enough that I was like, oh, I'm actually very much enjoying this version, and I've enjoyed it more and more in every rewatch since. It does really stand up to a rewatch. <laughs> It does. I think part of my fascination with this story is that despite the fact that it, you know, it uses all of these tropes and I don't think uses them as efficiently as things have since, it's got a lot of untapped potential just in the premise. Because the premise is which we haven't said it yet. <laughs> not, that, <laughs> not that it's very likely that a lot of people don't know. But the premise is obviously that there's this rich boy, he's a bully, he's sort of coded as you know very like um unchangeable evil almost villainous and this girl comes along and she i don't know quote unquote fixes him but there's there's potential in there for this to be a really powerful story about redemption and forgiveness and the transformative power of love and it's the versions that tap into that that have really sort of caught my attention Mm. From Jackie Lau, the author of Donut Fall in Love, comes a perfect summer love story set in the forested paradise of Canadian cottage country that asks the question, can love beat the odds when the odds are two mothers dead set against it? Leora and Neil are both from Toronto, both Asian, and their moms are best friends. You'd think their parents would be trying madly to set them up, in typical Asian auntie style, but instead it's the opposite. Leora's single mom has always taught her not to believe in fairy tales, and that she doesn't need a man to be happy. When their families vacation together and she meets Neil for the first time in a decade, she's shocked to find out he's handsome and useful to have around the cottage. But are their moms trying to sabotage this budding relationship? 
Perfect for fans of Helen Huang's The Bride Test and The Donut Trap by Julie Tu, The Unmatchmakers is a forced proximity, friends-to-lovers rom-com that explores finding the balance of meeting expectations and being true to yourself, and how the best intentions can sometimes backfire. If you're noticing a donut theme, references to Tim Hortons and Coffee Crisp abound because Jackie is from my own hometown of Toronto. Click the link in the description to find out more about The Unmatchmakers by Jackie Lau. So before we get into kind of the larger implications of the Boys Over Flowers extended universe, um, let's talk about F4 Thailand. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, let's begin. So what's unique about this version? Because I feel like when I watch this, a lot of things came back to me, but it's been so long since I've, you know, seen any other version of this that like some of the details were kind of hazy. And I have to admit, like when I was reading your recaps, I was like, oh, yeah, they did change this. (laughs) So, like, what's unique or, like, what's different to you about this version? I mean, naturally, like, little things are changed here and there, because that's always the case with adapting something. Um, But I find most interesting that they've attempted to adapt it for, like, a sort of modern audience. And I don't necessarily mean in the the fact that they've, you know, they've incorporated social media, but it's more that they're sort of dealing with the, (laughs) I don't want political climate of today. I was speaking to someone, uh, an online friend who is Thai, and I was talking about the fact that they deal with power and corruption um, and how the red card kind of becomes a metaphor for who has the power in any situation, these kinds of things, which I think the drama really sort of taps into. And she said that she thinks that they're reflecting the political state in Thailand at the moment. And I found that so interesting that they're sort of taking the story and they're pulling it more towards a critique of capitalism and power and how violence and power Mm. come together. And it's just all very interesting from that perspective. And the way that corporations function and how they affect the lives of ordinary poor people, which like, I don't think any other adaptation has done. I mean, I haven't watched um, all of them, but that was something that really surprised me. And then I was thinking, well, you know, if you're making it like 15, 20, 30 years later after the original, people aren't going to accept this sort of, glamorization of extreme wealth without consequences that they did in like 2005, 2009, you know, even, you know, 10 years ago. Exactly. And it's everywhere all over this version, you know, even from the fact that when um, time is trying to coerce other people into, you know, bullying um, Gordia and, you know, they, they push back every now and then. They're like, why? Why do I have to do this? And I think it sort of comes to a head sort of episode 11-ish when, Time actually goes to his previous victims who he's harassed to the point where they've left school or even worse in some instances. And he goes and apologises to all of them. And this kind of accountability just isn't present in other versions of the story. And I remember the online response to it because that's the joy of watching this live, I think. Twitter just went wild and they were so happy with this development. And it makes you think... That this is probably why the story is still so prevalent. I think people wanted this and they've wanted it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Did you watch it live too, Parma? I did watch it live, yeah. For me, that particular moment, I could understand why the that was so important for his redemption arc. But I found... <clears throat> so his apology to... Um, 
all of his victims. That was pretty great. But the moment that really, really worked for me was when he blocked the entrance to the stadium where all of the bullying would happen. And he had he he gave this speech. And it, it was like this this rousing monologue. And amazing the best speech in the drama probably it was just so emotional so from his heart and something that none of the previous versions of time's character was capable of of doing like none of them were shall i say smart enough <laughs> or eloquent enough or in touch with their just self aware enough to yeah. to make that speech i was i was so impressed by that scene just the entire construction of it um i agree i'll touch on the apology thing a bit later but that that for me was the best moment and the thing that really set uh, this drama apart one other thing is of course the director as soon as he came on board for this project you could like if you if i went back and and listened to a lot of his interviews because twitter was also obsessed with his director's interviews they were like i saw a lot of clips of his interviews right and this guy was so intentional in deconstructing a lot of the toxic um messages that was sort of like woven into previous versions of the story and he was very clever about it somehow he managed to keep the um craziness of the story and like all of the masala of it like of everything spicy was still in there yeah. but it wasn't just it wasn't painful and like it didn't make you feel guilty to watch it in many ways it was like yes this is the version we wanted of this trope why did you make it so awful before <laughs> <laughs> it just strikes this pretty beautiful balance between it, it's it's still you know the boys of a flower story but it's taking all of the elements and just making them like richer and it's just beautiful. I mean, I remember one of his interviews or just, I think it was just one of his tweets, but he was talking about, um, in episode five, I think when Gordia and time go on that date and they buy a honey badger toy, the honey badger is supposed to be a metaphor. Well, it's, it's supposed to be like a personification representation of time. Um, and the fact that he's, you know, beastly, even though he you know looks quite cute he's there's something like rough and intense about him and the the show is just so interested in dissecting that and getting to the root of his character and i love what you said about the um the scene where he blocks up that abandoned gym because i think the abandoned gym is sort of the best new symbol that the show introduces because there's so many symbols within this story you know you've got yeah. the mm-hmm. necklace and <laughs> gosh what else the meteor shower. The meteor shower, yeah. Um, yeah. Strong weeds, things like that. There's just so many like mm. little symbols like that. And I think the gym is a really interesting one that they've introduced because at the beginning it's this hub of sort of violence and ugliness within this school that's otherwise very beautiful and pristine, but, you know, it's falling down, it's dilapidated, and it's where they take their mm. victims um, away from all the cameras and the, the onlookers. And then he boards it up as if to say, "I'm no more of this, I'm putting an end to it. And then Tally later comes along and unboards it as if like he's bringing back up because he's he's determined to like you know get his revenge, bring ugliness back into the school that time is now trying to cleanse. And then by the end, it's just this it's this repurposed space where they have that prom, and it's so and it's a community space for all of them together, which kind of shows all the healing that's taken place. I think that's one of the most beautiful parts of this version. That's true. Well, something else that I really like about. Um 
the, the second um, life of the stadium, which which was the time after the boarding happened, like after the boarding was taken off, was because, well, time now wants that shut up because it's kind of like, oh, I did a bad deed. I feel horrible about it, but let's now like shut that thing up, put it away and like never talk about it again. But you don't deal with trauma like that, right? So I, I, I didn't think about it initially, but later on it occurred to me that... This guy coming back in, who has a deep connection with one of F4's victims, and saying, no, we have to like bring this to light, was just, and it was so beautifully done through the metaphor of him taking the boats off. So it was just, this drama yeah. is like full of stuff. You can and just, it was, yeah. And it wasn't over because time and F4 wanted it to be over. It was over when, you know, he actually tried to make reparations for what he did mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, gain forgiveness from the people that he had wronged. That's when it was allowed to be over. So I think like to go back to what you were saying earlier, Barma, about him being more self-aware, I don't think that in any other version that I've seen that he is actually, um, that he really reckons with who he was from like And I don't know, like, I think this version did the best job of making it not only that, like, because he fell in love with this extremely, you know, courageous and morally upstanding person, for her, he became good. But in here, like, he's actually reckoning with who he was and why that was a wrong way to be. And, like, he changes who he is, like, maybe partly for her, maybe in the beginning, but, like, ultimately, it's for himself. Yeah. And I don't think that I saw that in any other version. This well. Absolutely, which is why I love this scriptwriter and this director because they saw the potential in the story and brought it to fulfillment because it was always there. It was always surprising to me that in this story structure, you have this central male character who's so like um, full of power and like what you drunk on his own power. And he has three really loyal friends who are relatively a lot more sensible and balanced and aren't apparently bullies so how is it that this guy does horrible stuff and keeps getting away with it one thing i really liked about how the story structured the whole bullying dynamic is that the f4 weren't really the main bullies they were the one who created the opportunity for bullying it was the school in its entirety participating in bullying so it it comes it's it's like a commentary on how if people in power create a toxic society that like rewards horrible behavior and bullying basically it will keep happening and they would almost like a lot of people would participate in it believing that if they didn't participate in it they would be targeted and that was beautifully brought out in here and I don't understand now why the previous versions never did it I think with that instance it was kind of a alluded to in other versions but like for instance the fact that the red card is kind of this symbol of power and of course to begin with it's entirely times it's it's his power to like throw at people wherever he wants to and then once he decides that he doesn't want to use that power anymore he's just like no more red card and he expects everyone to follow along with him but he's created the opportunity for other people if they just use the card to then seize his power as the power Mm -hmm. goes to whoever is willing to sort of invoke that kind of destruction on other people and it's constantly yeah. used against Gordia in the show you know um i've forgotten her name but the the girl that Gordia befriends at the beginning you know hannah yes hannah she uses the red card to get revenge and then later on tally does the same thing the card kind of becomes 
its own entity, which I think makes mm. it scarier in this version than in the others. Of course, the same plot points happened, but there was more emphasis on what it, me- it meant in this version than in others. Yeah, I think you mentioned the scriptwriter and the director. I think the dialogue was so well written here, like maybe the best dialogue from this franchise that I've seen. And also the directing and the cinematography just like a gorgeous but then also like just as you said so intentional so like you could just tell how much thought they put into like with every episode you were just like wow they really thought about this you know like they um and 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 that makes it and it's like somehow feels grounded and fantastical at the same time which is really hard to pull off (laughs) like you know and and it does and it's also terrifying for that reason, right? Like like you said, Frabby, like, I think I found this version of Time's mother, like Domyoji's mother, like the most t- terrifying of all of the mothers. Absolutely. Because there's nothing ridiculous about her. Mm-hmm. She's just stone cold, like, power and, uh, you know, will. And and it's, like, there's those scenes where she, and I was, I wanted to bring this up too, that, like, in a way, there's a lot of misogynistic tropes in this story, but also it can be a story like it has the potential to be a story about like a lot of strong women. Um, That's true. You know, with a lot of agency and you have these great characters like, uh, you know, uh, Tia in this version, the older sister, you have Mira in the beginning, you have um both of their mothers who are like when they face down against like when her mother tells her off and like throws that water in her face i was like yeah oh no it's fish sauce right even better (laughs) but but like i i found some of the most powerful scenes were with goria basically telling rosalind where to stick it and i was like yes you know (laughs) that's a pretty good point because like i think the um the power struggle between time and his mother is really sort of amped up in this version compared to other ones because there's always been that tension there between them because you know he feels unloved he feels uncared for and that's why he ends up becoming the person that he is and you know it's it's his there's the heroine's love that undoes that but in this version as well you get this like this sense that the reason that time is the way he is is because his mother's taught him to be that way you know you have the scene right at the beginning where um rosamond is talking about the whole red card system she's like mm. someone's acting out you've got to give him a red card and you can see there how the way that time acts is directly inherited from her and you have to stop this cycle in order to break it and make society a little bit better a lot of you said this franchise because i've always found it really interesting you know for every sort of one-dimensional girl who decides to you know she's going to wreak havoc and harm the heroine and try and get the hero there's so many others that are actually surprisingly strong and interesting and well developed you know um lita in this instance but you know Mm. that character in all of the iterations is always so interesting because you tend to find with older stories that like female second leads are always a specific type and she kind of breaks Mm. out of that type by always being far more nuanced than other versions are you know she wants to marry the hero but she also loves the heroine and she's not ever evil she's just in love and occasionally misguided and it's just so much more interesting than a lot of other versions that have come out since are and that's one of those and she's just such a charming character like she's just such a charming character like even i mean i know we rag on yoko kamio a lot uh the manga writer but like even in the manga she was a great character like she was one of my favorite characters i was like this girl she's just vibrant and lovable yeah exactly (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. But I, I think she was kind of planned as like the female version of Time. And that's always come across. Like, uh, I forget the girl's name in the uh, original manga, but... Sukushi. Um, like, Sukushi was definitely like Tomiji's exact, like it, almost an exact mirror. In, in the way she acted, the way she had been brought up, in the way she reacted oh, no. to situations... No. What was her name? It wasn't Sukushi. It wasn't Sukushi. I'm talking about the heroine. Um, the name of the character was Shigeru. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> so in my mind, she's always been like a bit of a mirror. But I I thought Lita did it best, or maybe there was something about Time and Lita that just worked the best. In that they they were both such children, but also like more mature than teenagers should be, and also. Mm like had too much power didn't know what to do with it came out in all the wrong ways yeah they they could basically be siblings and this version played with that a little bit with um Gordia and Tale as well there was that whole episode where you had the the Gordia Tale pairing and then mm. the Lita Time pairing being mm-hmm. contrasted as if to say well maybe these two couples should just be together because Gordia and Tale are both hard working you know um What's the phrase? They know each other's worlds. Like, they just didn't have to explain anything to each other. Mm-hmm. So it, it was easier in a lot of ways. I really also enjoyed that uh, situation where you have um, time basically buying a house in front of hers to stay in her neighborhood. That was just <laughs> such, that was so excellent. Has that been done in other other versions? I don't remember uh, it being done in Boys Over Flowers at he- least. He did it in Hana Yuri yes, yeah. and it's in the manga as well. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I don't remember this but in uh, the Korean version, but maybe it was there as well. It's been a while since I've watched it. But I just found that it, it felt like an extended period of getting to understand her world, which I honestly don't think they, they put this much time into him understanding her world quite in the same way in the other dramas. Um, and it wasn't just a matter of him staying one evening with her family and living in the cramped spaces and eating the family food and suddenly having empathy. It wasn't that, which is how the other dramas seem to do it. He was, he really understood. He was helping her take care of her brother on a daily basis. Like, the boy was trying so hard and it was, it came from a genuine space and that really came across which is very surprising given how short this drama was compared to how long every <laughs> other version seemed to be. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that was one of my main, one of my complaints about Boys Over, I mean, I had many complaints, but one of my complaints about Boys Over Flowers, the Korean version, was just how it just fetishized wealth to a point where it could no longer critique it. Whereas, you know, in Hanayori Dango, like there are scenes where she's like, how dare you like you've never earned a single penny on your own in your life you know like that's the kind of stuff that she throws in his face like you're a useless person you're just rich and you inherited all like what do you even do like what are you good for and then he has to like be like oh what what am, what am i good for i'm good for loving you <laughs> this, this, I, this, this i do remember i thought boxer Budo was just like so perfectly cast for this oh, he was wonderful <laughs> yes Oh my god! I just went back and watched a clip to, of the two, like of of the two of them, and I was just like, ah, I love these two so much. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I, mean, I think I was. Oh, sorry, go on. No, 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 go on. 
Okay. I think that's one of the things that's very romantic about this version with F4 Thailand is that there's this focus on the fact that although it may be easier for him to marry Lita, and it wouldn't be a bad marriage either because they'd get along well because they're very similar people, that ease isn't what he wants. He wants Cordia. But it's not that he wants her. He doesn't want to, like, possess her. He wants to understand her. Like the um, the stairway scene in episode four where they're just, they're just chatting to each other. And in other versions, they were having, you know... It, it wasn't it wasn't quite like this. This version is all about them just li- 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 like coming to know the sort of intimate details of each other's lives. They just share, you know, how many siblings they have and what their home lives are like. And these like little mm. minor things that just show that they're trying to get to know each other on a level that's not that's that's deeper and goes more towards like understanding. I loved empathy. <laughs> yeah, I loved and I loved the you were talking about symbols earlier, Frabby, like the, the magic pork. You know, yes. like, <laughs> when he comes to her house and there's like the last piece of meat and and they tell him about this like little silly and cute tradition they have. And he's just like his mind is blown because he's never <laughs> had a communal meal with his family that was that warm and nice, even though, you know, so like you're right, like they enter into each other's worlds and it's not always pleasant, but. There is like a real effort to do that. And I and I do think that Hanayori Dango did that a little bit, yes. but it, I don't think it did it as well as it. I mean, he does, you know, he moves into her apartment building. He mm. tries to understand her life. He, you know, he he begins to understand how different, you know, how privileged he is. But it doesn't really go that far mm-hmm. the way that this one does, I think. Yeah. The other thing that I really liked was that whole um, undoing of what that... Uh, that section of the story about her being a maid in his house was in this version because in this version it was just hilarious but in other versions there was a certain amount of like um, it's hard it's hard to explain but I think somebody on Twitter said this really well I, I don't know if you remember the discussion at that point Fabi, but it was basically about a difference between male and female gaze and in, in F4 somehow she was never dressed in a way that would oh. seem provocative or playing into the male fantasy of, you know, the, the maid with her duster, that very... <laughs> That's so, true. Right? And I, I really, I, I, it didn't occur to me before I read those threads. And I was like, that, that's true. I, at no point am I feeling like this is being even remotely fetishized. And this is not a time where they are going to have like awkward intimacies I mean, yeah, his teenage boy mind goes in every direction, but it's always like he ends up getting a duster in his face for all, all of those <laughs> efforts. Um, but it it's, it remains very... I, I don't know, it's, it's a time for her to get to know his world. And it, that it kind of felt like the flip side of what he was doing for her before. Except, of course, Korea didn't really want to be in his house dusting the place. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> okay, fair enough, whatever. The setup is the same, but... Am I making sense? <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, cause I cringe. Like at that point, I always cringe and I'm just like, no, did they have to do this. But mm-hmm. then you're right, they did it. Sorry, Frabby, you look like you have to say something. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I just, there definitely is more fetishization in the Korean version. I remember all of these fantasy sequences where uh, 
Junpyo is just like, oh, and then she'll she'll come into my room and she'll she'll wake me up gently and all of this. And it's just it's just a lot. Um, <laughs> okay, I didn't get to that point, so I'm. Oh yeah, it's 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 uncomfortable, and there's just not that here. And I like what you said about um, her also trying to get to know his world because I feel like there's less of that in every other version. Because mm. there's that whole episode with the funeral where um, Gordia's just helping oh, to prepare it. Oh, I love it. that. Yes. Oh my that god, was so I love that so much. That was so good. He's just helping to prepare it, but you know, t- time has to be there. He has to be on. He has to, you know, socialize with people because it's not just a funeral. It's also it's also to do with business. And she's looking at this, and she can barely recognize him. And that's one of the moments where she's just like, "Our worlds might be too difficult to to reconcile." Yeah. Yeah. At that point, he is like beside Lita, and she could see how easily they fit together, and how him as the son of this business mogul in this world of people who are gathering together at the death of another businessman—it's just this totally different culture, and she cannot relate. And the the great thing about the direction of this story is that the audience couldn't relate either. It was actually mm-hmm. done in a really like like it was done in a really fancy scale but not like okay and here i have to talk about the production quality of this thing because boys over flowers when they tried to do rich they went garish but yes. when f4 tried to do rich <laughs> this was rich you, this was yeah rich people. i wrote this in my notes i'm like this is how actual rich people are <laughs> instead of you know like boys over flowers fantasy of how yeah because you're right like in extremely wealthy people are very low key about because they think it's classy to you know yeah exactly <laughs> to like be extremely you know ostentatious about their wealth like that's like real like old money i mean because they don't need to right they have so much power yeah that they don't need to do any of it's that and this class. was so i was like exactly yeah. it is it is almost like it, it's it almost becomes caste actually rather than class right because it goes so deep and it's been around for so long and that's kind of the way that you know they treat Goria like like his family and those and that class of people as if she is born into a different caste and she could never escape from that and so just in her essence she's below them you know and and that's I think I think in a lot of societies class does function as caste yeah. In our, you know, in our absolutely moment, most so. societies, I think it, it, it yes. kind of functionally makes you less and then it makes you feel less. And it's it's like it's horrible to break uh, upwards through that kind of calcified strata. But like we were talking about the scale of things, like how how let's say Boys Over Flowers was trying to show the rich world of Gujunpyo. Wait, did I say his name right? Yes. Yes. Um, and the way they did it was, you guys remember when uh, he and his uh, blonde uh, violin bestie um, had like a fallout over um, Jandi and they had like car racing and like yes. these real weird. <laughs> oh my God, it was so cringy. <laughs> right. Okay. So I hated that so much. And they just didn't do that stuff here. First of all, because, hello, th- these four boys are actual real friends. Um, and <laughs> they don't do stupid stuff like that. And also, they never There's needed to do... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they didn't need to do all of that to show how, like, rich and, like, what the, the class difference uh, th- that this world has. Just, again, comes down to how good the direction was um, here. Yeah, no, the details, like the details were so 
carefully thought out in every sense. Can we can we talk about because you said like that they're genuine friends. And I think this is the best friendship that we've seen between F4 in any version. Like oh, they actually absolutely. care about each other. They're not just like fancy dolls that are like set up next to each other, you know, in the most attractive placement. <laughs> like MJ. Oh, MJ. <laughs> MJ is the real MVP. <laughs> I love that man. <laughs> I've said it in one of my posts that I always find myself surprisingly fixated on the fourth member, um, simply because I get the impression that Yoko Kamiya was like, okay, I need to, I want to make a, a quartet of people. So I'm going to do mm-hmm. one who's like rough around the edges, uh, but, you know, heart of gold. I'm going to do one that's like very beautiful, very aloof. I'm going to do one who's like a total playboy. And then... The fourth one. <laughs> and then the fourth <laughs> one. And, you know, you get the impression that she's basically just written, um, what is his, his name? She's written the third one twice. You know, she's got, she, she's like a playboy again, but this time he likes older women. Like that's... <laughs> and he's from a gangster family. <laughs> like those are his Such only personality traits. And <laughs> this drama actually tried to do something with him, which I liked. It was subtle, but, you know, he was very much all about his friends. You know, he he cared about their bonds, arguably the most yeah, out of all he of was, them. He was the kind of the glue that kept the group from mm-hmm. kind of fracturing at those critical moments when things were getting bad. And he got his own so. weird little PPL side story, which I loved. That was, that was I loved that so much. <laughs> I cannot believe oh. that they actually did that whole thing and they really went there. Yeah, but like, it was an arc and everything. Why, why wasn't PPL, why wasn't it part of the main story? I feel I like, know. I mean, you gotta get that tasty KFC money. Oh. Come on. <laughs> but like, I actually skipped the first two epilogues. Mm-hmm. So I, I had to go back and watch them because I didn't know I was missing out on such a huge thing. <laughs> I couldn't tell whether I actually loved it or I just loved laughing at it. I think by I the end, I genuinely, <laughs> I genuinely loved it by the end a little bit. But just the bit oh. near the end where, you know, the breakup happened and then he was like, and then I never ate KFC again. I was hysterical. <laughs> I was hysterical. That's so funny. Oh my God. And they're just like sitting there eating a <laughs> burger in sadness. <laughs> and then there's this big focus on the zinger <laughs> I, like, I loved oh. it it was I, I thought to myself if you're gonna do ppl and you have to do it like that like do you remember be melodramatic where there was that oh whole segment mm-hmm. that whole cutaway for the ppl that was the best if you have to do yeah. it make it fun like agree ni- people need to take Even notes in the drama it was like extremely obvious like every time they brought in that fat shaming zero calorie <laughs> yogurt it was just it was like a whole like just that right turn to like just oh it'll keep you slim eat it and I was just like wow they're really apparently just PPL is like this in Thai dramas the viewers know we have to do this yeah they they you know everyone's on board we're like okay this is the price we have to pay for the content mm-hmm. that we love it's okay oh but back to the boys <laughs> yes what I liked about this version is that Hannah Yori Dango did the same thing where in the first two episodes or so. As F4 are introduced, they're like cold. They like they suck the air out of the room. They're very intimidating. There's a lot of tension. And then by the time like that accidental kiss happens with Gordia and Time, um, <laughs> just complete total tone change. Where suddenly it's like, oh, they're just stupid boys. They're just they're just <laughs> mixed up boys. They're all like dumb and they're best friends. And I love that so much. Where it's just like that moment is where Gordia for the first time sees them as actual people. And not just like these Goliaths to overcome. Mm-hmm. And that is the sort of first moment that's necessary in order to break the boundaries between all of them. 
And once they let her in, that's it. You know, mm-hmm. like she's in now, like she knows them and they are their kind of real selves in front of her. So, yeah. It's delightful. I, I also really felt, you know, in other versions, they will always say like, you know, Rui and Sukasa are best friends, whatever. And I, I didn't really feel <gasps> it. I mean, I felt it, it a little bit <laughs> when, well, I mean, in the Japanese version, like there is that whole moment at the airport and with the apple and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll never forget that oh apple. God, that, was cute, though. that was, I got that. That got me. But like in general, like across the seasons, they like didn't I didn't very get the close. same. Yeah. Like there were some great moments, but you were like, these two are best friends. Like how? Is this just how rich people yeah. have best friends? Like, <laughs> like I couldn't relate to it. But in this one, you felt that, yeah. you know, even like the pettiness was very real. <laughs> Agreed. But also with Hanayuni Tango, I think it was simply that Domyuji's break, like during that airport scene, it was Domyuji getting suddenly emotional that made you think, oh, he has real affection for exactly. his friend. But mm. not not Rui's reaction. I mean, that was not, it, like, I got nothing from him. But in this version, well, let me check the boy's name, Ren. In this version, Ren, like, genuinely seemed like a support system for time. Mm-hmm. Like, once yeah. they had figured out their issues over Korea and Ren burst out laughing and they had, like, their, you know, you know, mock fight, whatever. It's, it, it was like, they were, he is a genuine friend to time and time was genuinely miserable not being friends with him. And mm-hmm. that was so apparent in the story. I love that. You know, about Ren, I, I do always kind of hate him for a large portion of the story mm. in most versions. And I one. feel like, <laughs> okay, yes. Like, this is the first time where I wasn't just like, why are you such a passive a-hole? And like, you're like, he, he kind of, would always kind of sit in the background and like quietly manipulate everyone to his own sort of, and you know, like, and he does that in this one too. Like in the beginning, he knows exactly how Goria feels and he kind of uses her feelings or he doesn't really, he has his own stuff going on and he doesn't really care too much if he's hurting her. But then like, as the story goes, you see his kind of, um, he starts to use his observational qualities for good instead of just using them to kind of, do his own thing and still end up looking like a good guy. Like, that's his whole thing, right? Like, he's able to present himself as this noble dude whilst not really being a great dude, like, in, in most of the versions. This is and exactly you actually my saw him. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's just like, ah, he's so, you know, like, dreamy. And I'm like, no, he's terrible. He has to do the bare minimum. The bare minimum of kindness. Right. And he's already better than time. That's the problem. Yeah. Like, right, exactly. But he's actually just not that decent. He just is literally doing the bare minimum, and this is this, this is true in all. And versions. he's very selfish. He's very selfish. He's very selfish. Yeah, he he only thinks yes. about himself and about uh, Mira, or you know the original person he was in love with in every story, and he does improve by the end. But I struggle to you know get on but board by the with the second lead improves- he 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 is utterly boring. Like he has no yes. character, like arc left. But with yeah, Ren, I mean, that just doesn't happen. He stays present and relevant and kind of fun and interesting. Like, and he has interesting things to say. As as Anisa put it, he uses his observational skills to really good use. Like he puts them to good use. I think in in like sort of most versions of this story, he's supposed to be a cold guy who's not really bad, but he never really had a reason to like take action or he never felt motivated to take action on anything until he meets, you know, Sukushi. And then he kind of was like, oh, well, actually now I'm going to, you know, 
put my money where my mouth is a little mm-hmm. bit. But like, and then and later on in the story, then he becomes sort of like a moral conscience for the hero. And I didn't find that that worked for me in any other version because I was like, who are you to be a moral yeah. conscience? Like, A, you, you don't even seem like real friends. And B, like, why are you like, he just seemed judgmental. And like, he was, you know, pretending like he had this moral high ground when he really didn't. But in this one, like in that scene where he comes into um, Time's office and is like, you know, I found Goria and here's where she is. And you need to like wake up and realize that she didn't actually take the money because like, why would she, you know, like he kind of gives him that wake up call and he, he does kind of play that role Mm -hmm. of his, you know, like his conscience, but it works here because they have the kind of relationship um, where they do that. And time has done that for him in the past when he was being a butt about Mira, he was like, get your head out of your butt <laughs> and and like wake up to the fact that like you know you need to move on with your life and stop moping whatever so like that actually really worked for me you know in this version which it hasn't in the previous versions i disagree only in that i don't think that ren had a lot to do in the middle of the story this time i think the second that his whole thing with gordia was resolved in like episode seven he was just kind of there but then i agree that he came in in a really beautiful way at the end well, like he'd he'd been there the whole time, and he'd been this this careful supporter, and he'd been like this consistent friend to you know Gordia and Time, and then that worked in the end because he had the genuine interest in reuniting them. He didn't have any of his own agendas in this version. He didn't really come back in into the love triangle in any significant way in this version, whereas other ones ramped it up at this point. I think but which I'm, is why we liked him in this yeah. version. <laughs> It worked for me. Yeah, I, it worked for me that we just had that one scene where he kind of knew that she was going to say no, but he was like, you know what? I'm just going to tell her. <laughs> he went for it. He reje- he got he took his rejection like a like a woman very well. Um, and then <laughs> they moved on and he was like, OK, now we're just friends. You know, it was beautiful. That was, yeah, that was good. It was just, yes. <laughs> there was so much um, not delicacy, uh, humility about him in this version. This has a lot of emotional intelligence, this story. Agreed. It's beautiful. Agreed. Yeah, I completely agree. There is um, this one scene, I'm going back to the romantic pairing for a second, um, between Time and Goya that I I think they completely deleted in this version, which I appreciated. Uh, do you guys remember... I think in Meteor Shower, they made it way worse, the, child, the 2018 verse, version where Dylan kind of corners Goria's, like I forget the, uh, Shanchai. So, um, <laughs> so Mingxi kind of like corners her and like on the rooftop, he's really jealous and he screams at her face and he kind of like pushes her against the wall and he's basically doing this aggressive dominance thing and she genuinely freaks out. This moment is present there in Boys Over Flowers. It's also present in Hana Yoridango. Not as bad as this. This was the worst version, the Meteor Garden 2018 version. And I remember it being the worst version because that's when I checked out. Mm-hmm. That thing happened and after that it went downhill. I pretty much stopped watching a couple episodes um, after that. Editor's note. I didn't do a very good job of explaining the scene in Meteor Garden and why it disturbed me so much. But after the recording, I went back and rewatched uh, a clip of that scene. I'm putting the link to it in the description below. However, trigger warning. And I'm going to describe this scene here. And here's the thing. It's, um, it's sexual violence. He 
corners her on the rooftop i had like blanked the scene out in my head he corners her on the rooftop yes he's extremely jealous he's yelling at her face but what i forgot was he punched the wall next to her face terrified the girl she ran away his hand is bleeding he punched the wall so hard he chases her down she's fallen down and he yanks her up by the collar pushes her against the wall and while she's crying he forces a kiss on her she tries to escape he yanks her back forces another kiss on her and she this girl is trembling and weeping it is the worst scene guys i don't know why i don't know why they put it in i it's it's not it's not remotely romantic it's supposed to be violent i am not for reference the link is below but yeah that's and so ending editor's note here just really thought it was important to actually explain what i was talking about before and i don't know why they made it worse because that is not the scene that you make worse it was completely absent in this version i mm-hmm. i don't remember it at all i mean i don't i watched it a couple of months back there's no way i would completely forget a moment like that i don't think they had it at no point there it, yeah go on is one scene where he almost hits yes, her yes that's that's like, all he's, a, he's about to hit her yeah so I he doesn't hit her, but he like raises his fist like this, and he and then he stops. That's, and that's I, not the scene that I'm talking about. That that scene is absolutely there. Okay, uh, but I'm not talking about physical violence. I'm talking about sexual violence. That is what was threatened in the previous versions, and in this in F4, the the violence that he threatens her with is like filled with rage and like. He he thinks of like hitting her in a way he would think of hitting anybody else who was making him angry and not fueled with like gendered violence. Do you know what I mean? And this is a very specific scene that always yeah. hits me hard because it's it's a dominance move that's made by men knowing that women are scared of sexual violence. I didn't find that scene an F4 at all. If if I'm mistaken, like listeners tell me, but I don't think I'm mistaken. I don't think F4 had that scene. Yes. Um at no point does time ever threaten Goria with sexual violence, not even momentarily, not even when he's explosively angry. It's always like I will beat you up. But that's not in even a very via other like third parties, which is another one of my huge complaints about Boys or Flowers. Sorry, Frabby, go ahead. Because I know you wrote about this extensively, right? There, there was that third party situation that that was present in F4, but it was done slightly differently. But it wasn't it wasn't specifically instigated and on his orders, which is how it was in Boys Over Four. True. It, it was, was taken so on by the boys disgusting. themselves thinking that they'll get kudos for their action. Yeah, slight difference. <laughs> I've written about this extensively, so I wrote something called The Boys of a Flowers Problem, which is where I was talking about that scene in Meteor Garden, um, because it existed in the manga where he eventually, essentially um, threatened her with rape, and it's uncomfortable and it's horrible and you don't want to watch it, so I was like, what place does this have in the 2018 version? You know, why on earth are you still including this? And so when it was announced that F4 Thailand was coming out, I, I wrote this just to say, if you include this version... It has no place being here, and what you're arguing is going to be an updated version of the story. So I was dreading this part of the show when I was watching it the first time, and we got to episode seven, and then that sort of almost punch happened, and I was like, this is the equivalent they're going with this time. Okay. And it is significantly different, because there isn't any threat of sexual violence here. Um, But there is still violence. But obviously, this is kind of... This is... In the show, they're screaming... This is time's lowest point. 
and after this he's going to improve and after that you have the scene where he takes Gordia and he boards up the abandoned gym as if to say no more I've reached my low this is not going to happen again and he's never violent like that again agreed absolutely that was yeah. his lowest point and the as Prabhi just said like the there is a distinct difference between being a, a, a man child and, and like like feeling like everything is spinning out of your control and and like being violent because you have no control over your own emotions and realizing what that makes you which is why I said time is like the most self-aware version of this character and being Dylan's version in Meteor Garden where he isn't that wasn't his lowest point he has lower points after that it was just a, a tantrum nice. he throws at Shanchai because he's jealous that he thinks she's meeting somebody else or talking to yes. somebody else on the rooftop and he she's trying to get away from him like physically run away from him and he grabs her and pushes her against the wall and he's threatening her with violence it's very clearly sexual violence that he's threatening her with and she freaks the hell out and he keeps on going it's not it's she's nowhere near comparable scared and she's yeah. crying like it's, it's traumatic no... to watch. I, I'm never going to forget that. No, honestly. It's so bad. And uh, you know, after this, I remember there's a, there's a point in Meteor Garden where he goes, I'll never hurt her. And I'm like, dude, you already have. And just yeah. the rest of the time on the show, there's a, there's a lot of him dragging her around and her looking scared every time he's angry. And I just hate it. I just hate it. <laughs> That's the other thing. Thank you for pointing it out. So... Uh, the other reason Meteor Garden didn't work for me at all was because Shanjai's character never really seemed to fall in love with no. Mingxi. <laughs> it was like she was just scared out of her mind half the time and very confused. She's like a hostage in their relationship. But like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just the then it just becomes like a romanticized abusive relationship. Then like, what else are you doing? Basically, in that, in that situation? yeah. Because weirdly, I would say um, Dylan's version was a lot like Eamon, uh, Eamon Ho's version in Boys Over Flowers. Like there is a direct comparison to how their arcs worked and what their behavior was. Whereas Thyme's version, like Bright's version, is a lot like Matsumoto's in Hanayori Dango. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen Meteor Garden, but like that, what you're describing reminds me a lot of Gujin Pyo. This is why I was, in, I was immediately so optimistic for this version, because the second the first episode came out, I was like, oh, they're tracing all the same steps as Hanayori Dango. They were taking most of their influence from that and that is what i think to be the best version and the healthiest version and and that's why you know i that's why i started watching it because of what you said because i remember borma was like i'm watching it but then i also knew that borma had enjoyed boys over flowers oh so it's she didn't trust me that's what she said <laughs> no, no 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 but i was like but because i knew that you loved hanayur dango so much and that like you had said that it reminded you that was what i was like oh if that's the case. Because I was like, why are we making this again in It's just automatic One. praise, like, isn't it? If I say that it's like Hanayori Dangle, because even though yes. it came out in 2005, it's just distinctively better than the, all the ones that have come out since. Don't you, 100%. Don't you guys think that all the other 18 and a half versions, I don't know how many came out, were like drafts like first draft second draft third draft and the writers should have just like struck them off and like this was the final version that they should have like put out (laughs) (laughs) very expensive drafts (laughs) 
I mean, you pose the idea, like, should this still be adapted now? And I would argue that in this instance, yes, because this felt like it would, like, the others were posing a question and this was the answer. And now I'm mm. like, we're good. We're done. <laughs> we're finished. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. We don't need another version. Yeah. yeah. I Like, before I watched this, I would have said, no, we don't need another version. Like, Hana Yuridango did it. And now... I don't know, like, I have such a strong emotional attachment to Hanayori Dango that I don't know that I can say that I love this one more, but I think it is, in almost every aspect, objectively better. Yeah, Hanayori Dango yeah. is such a sentimental favorite for me as well. It's, it's very beautiful and, like, electric in a way that I'd argue this version isn't because it's so beautiful and polished. I, th- I don't know if you can always have both, but, yes. you know, this is so important because, again, it, you know, plays with accountability and redemption like true redemption in a way that the others didn't think to address okay <laughs> i have a final question before we start wrapping up which is that we like i don't know about society in general but my heart generally tends to really like these types of heroes like I am getting over them now but in 10 years of drama watching um, regularly I have gravitated towards heroes like this who are childish but arrogant like drunk on power also realizing something about themselves all of those things but like society at large really romanticizes this man child this rich man child um, trope and I was Wondering why is it that we are so comfortable watching this hero in various versions, but more specifically in this version in the Hanayori Dango extended universe, um, happen again and again and again? And we are always willing to come back to watch this guy because yeah. we are. I think he's he's pretty iconic. If you take this one guy out, it's it's not going to be the story anymore. So um, what? What is what is it that allows us to keep coming back here, watch him do awful stuff and come back again for the next version? And the only thing I could think of was, it's a theory I have, that we consider drama safe spaces in that if we know that a character is a hero, we know that he can do horrible things. But at the end of the day, since he's a hero, we know there is a redemption arc in the work and that he will never cross a certain line. And for you know, different characters align uh, in different places, but... Um, That's true. And But because it's a safe space, we really allow them to do really awful stuff. <laughs> and we're still okay to come back for different versions. I mean, I'm still trying to process this and give myself, like, a good explanation to why... This is a trope that yeah. keeps us well, that's, coming back. Right. That's kind of the core of our question as we approach this episode, right? Like, is why is this so popular? Why is it still so popular? Like, okay, it was popular in 1995. Why is it still so popular now? Like, I was watching, you know, sort of the internet explode around the time when F4 Thailand was airing. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, this story still has so much power that, like, I, I agree with you, Forma, about that. And I also think that in a lot of ways, this is kind of the ultimate wish fulfillment. And it it allows you to dream about a world where... A, a, I mean, part of me cringes saying this, but like that a good woman can actually change a bad man. And like, we know that's not true and it doesn't happen in real life. 
But when it's done well, it's not even about that, like, dynamic between a woman and a man. It's like this this person who comes into this world that is so dark and so evil and where so many bad things are happening. And simply by the fort, like, she has nothing. She doesn't have wealth. She doesn't have power. She doesn't have friends. All she has is the goodness of and 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 the courage of herself. And she somehow triumphs over all of them and that's like i don't know there's a lot of power in that right Mm -hmm. if it's done well it makes you feel really good at the end and like for a for a teenage girl that's very powerful because you are on the bottom of the totem pole of a lot of things at that time in your life true and and remind me guys is it was the ending of the original hanayori dango uh what I remember it to be, because I always remember Goria's counterparts always ending up independent. Uh, like they had their own careers at the end. Was that true of the original Hanayuri Dango too? I'm not remembering exactly the what the ending was in the second season. In the Hanayuri Dango, there wasn't really a flash forward. It ended with that prom, which was then used in, um, in Eiffel Thailand. And the fact that um, Sukushi and Sakasa were going to marry. So actually, we never really found out much about who she he was going to be in the future. Yeah, I, don't yeah, know, I, he, remember I think he proposes in the last episode. And then, did you guys watch the movie? Yes, I've seen the movie. They get married in the movie. Oh, that, I, film. that was like the most fan servicey thing ever, <laughs> and I loved every minute of it. But I want to hear Frabby's answer too about like, do you agree? Do you have another theory about why it's so popular? I can only speak for me, I suppose. But for me, it's that you don't really get any good substitute for like a really good character arc. I'm all about the the dramatic, transformative character arc. Like my other my favorite drama is um Shining Inheritance, which is, yes! you know, a 2009 Mac Jang, just this the, your classic Cinderella story. And everyone no one knows about it. Everyone's forgotten about it. But the the hero's character journey, Juan, is beautiful. Like he starts so angry at the world, so useless. <laughs> This is also my sister's favorite. Will you come back and talk to us about Shining yes. Inheritance? Yes, Robbie? I will. <laughs> I want it. I want it. I've been waiting to talk to somebody about this. Can for I be years, a part of my it? sister? Because Anisa yeah. got me started on watching it, and I, I think I'm definitely going to finish it pretty soon. Incredible. Okay. It's so it's yeah. You're but you're so right. Like the the redemption story, if it's done properly, is it's something. I think it's one of those. There's no substitution for it. It's just something completely unique because we don't really believe that people like this can be redeemed in real life. And I think you're right in that dramas are this safe space, this fantasy in which this is possible. And it gives me hope for the world, like for one thing. But it's also just so nice that although it looks in this story like it's the heroine fixing the hero, I think in good versions, at least, it's actually that the heroine inspires the hero to want to be better. And I just, right. I think that's that's beautiful. She allows him to see a possibility that he never experienced his life before. And then once he's seen it, that's it. He can't let it go. Mm-hmm. Not at any price, you know? And that's, I yeah, I love that. And I think also, like, what you were saying, Borma, about we, especially in this version, like, he's so bad at the beginning. Yeah. Like, he's so bad. And even in Shining Inheritance as well, like, mm-hmm. he's so bad in the beginning. <laughs> And the thing about it is with in a drama, you you have the space, right? Like it's not a movie. You have enough space, you have enough time. Yes, time. And you have the sort of the multiple perspectives where you know you can see 
So like all these little moments that add up to a redemption where you don't, you don't really have enough time to do that in, in like, you know, a three hour film because it just won't be believable. But in here you can make it believable if you do it well. And I think also, I think the reason that this is so polarizing is because like a redemption story done badly is just like excusing someone who did bad things. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's exactly, it can go so wrong. Like, and so like the balance is really, you have to really strike a fine balance, which yeah, maybe that's why people have a lot of emotions around this franchise too i just love the audience reaction that i've seen to this show you know if you if you were going on twitter around this time people were making up new Mm. hashtags like thank you f4 thailand and just talking about how touched they've been from the experience of watching it and it's actually beautiful like i haven't seen anything similar agreed absolutely this drama was something special and yeah it was something special there is one (laughs) thing they could not fix though it's been bad in every version I've ever watched, which is the whole Kevin and Canning, oh, whatever that was. <laughs> That's all really bad. Bad. I never liked I mean, them. I think I I haven't either, but I think that was just better done than the other versions. This was the best one. But I yeah. I, d- I, I don't mean, like, like the story I, in its essence. Like no. Oh, oh, it's it's just like there's no way that that story can be satisfying because of the position it puts her in. But I did actually like Kevin like he's very very likable yeah he is very version. very likable yes. but his dynamic with Canning is just bad in everything at least he wasn't like obsessed with making tea in this version I suppose there are some <laughs> blessings <laughs> he's obsessed with making garland yeah. I was like how do you even know how to, like why what the what why garlands <laughs> so would you all say that this is your favorite version Oh, I mean, it's really hard to choose between this and Hani Uli Dango. Yeah. I'm still deciding. I feel the same way. I've actually been planning on doing like a little written ranking of all the shows at some point, but it required me to watch all of them within like a similar time frame. So I don't know when that's going to happen. But I feel like this one... R.I.P. your um, (laughs) peace of mind. (laughs) For me, like on a very individual level, uh, Domiji is the best Domiji. Like Matsumoto is the best Domiji. But... I agree. Yes. Two is the best, Goria. Like, she she just, she is the best. For me, this is the best version of her. But that makes sense, right? Given, given the changing in time, the female main character evolving to becoming somebody who's just so confident, like, from within. Her previous versions weren't this confident. They just didn't have this solid core trust in her own abilities that Goria has. That's so true. So for me, Goria is like the best version. <laughs> even Sukushi, Like, I, I adore um, Mao Inoue's version of the character, but she does she doesn't have a lot of faith in herself the way the others do. Mm. Like, in mm. in Goni Dango, there's this one arc where it's just them doing like a beauty pageant and Sukushi has to get yeah, involved I because I reasons. Oh my god. <laughs> and you get oh, that and, sense and they that... didn't have that. They didn't have that in this I version, feel like... right? Oh my no. god, yes. I feel it. And I, I also feel like she did have that in season one and then once they get together she loses her it. insecurities. Yeah. 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 Like she just doesn't have the same fire in season two and which is why like I didn't like season two as much as I loved season one. It's difficult. Mm. But season yeah. two did have flavor of life so compromises have to be made <laughs> this is true oh i have to say 
I, as much as I think the direction and cinematography and production values of this uh, F4 Thailand were really good, the music of Hannah Yoridango oh, is always going to be in my heart. Stop yeah, it. It's just so good. <laughs> it's a yeah. step above. I, yeah, I don't think I can choose between them. They're just, I also feel like the last time I rewatched Hannah Yoridango was like 2015 or something. So I feel like I need to go back and watch again before I can make like a final decision. But I do think that that, Hannah Yoridango couple had the best chemistry. They, I think I think I agree with that as well. There were so many versions that had just had no chemistry, like um, mm-hmm. Korean version. I agree. Korean version had negative. Like I <sighs> did not want them to be near each other. Good <laughs> you know, just not the draw of that drama. I do think there were there were some pluses to it. Like I think that you know the soundtrack was cracky. I think that there were some arcs that were pretty fun. The soundtrack um, was awful and yet earwormed. I I just yeah. don't know how they managed to do that. <laughs> And, and guys, I that was my first version. Okay, like the boy in of the of the boys over universe. It that was my first version. So forgive me for like having some fondness for it. Because when I did go on to watch Hana Yuri Dango, I absolutely acknowledge it's, it's it is superior way by like a thousand times. But still, like your your first. Yeah, uh, of course. Boys of course. House. They're all draws. <laughs> you don't have to them. be forgiven for that. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but that is this is the, uh, that is the version that makes you feel the most apologetic, which kind of tells you what version, what type of drama it is. <laughs> uh, again, I, I am very grateful for F4 Thailand. I was not expecting this experience. I was determined to avoid this version when I'd heard about the announcement and the Same. trailers came out. It was just halfway through, my Twitter feed was just full of people going completely insane. They were quoting, like, there were theses written in Twitter. Like, people were writing it in their notes and, like, posting it on Twitter. And I was reading tiny scripts on my phone screen. It was really bad on my eyes, but I was convinced. I was like, okay, fine, I have to try it now. I met some very smart people through this show. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Well, I think that says a lot about the quality of the show, right? Is that it's inspired so much, you know, deep and thoughtful and like really passionate analysis. This is true. Yeah, Everything absolutely. I wrote, there were people who came back to me and said, well, what about this? And I was like, that's also amazing. Let's also talk about <laughs> that. You know, there were just everyone was so sure. eager to engage with it as deeply as they possibly could. Yeah, that's true. Well, thank you so much, Frabby, for joining us. This was delightful. I'm glad we got to have a Boys Over Flowers scholar. It was so lovely to be here. Thank you. And we are definitely going to link all of Frabby's amazing reviews of this drama. And also, like, definitely check out her other writing about, like, there's an amazing one about second lead <laughs> that I highly recommend. Um, and she writes about like older Japanese dramas that nobody talks about. I read your buzzer beat one and I was like, oh my God, I love does anyone other than, oh yeah, I remembered watching this back in the day. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, we should get together and talk about Japanese dramas. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Sometime. You guys should please do that because th- that is an era that and, and, and genre that I know very little about, but like I have read some of your posts and do this. This is great. So yes, like I, you get, I will help oh, in whatever way I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So on that note, Krabby, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at uh, krabbyfordramas.wordpress.com, and I'm also on Twitter at Frabby Krabsis, uh, Drama Beans at Frabby Krabsis, etc., etc. <laughs> I'm I'm fairly easy to find as long as you know my username. So you can find us on the internet. We're on Twitter at Dramas Overflow. 
You can find me on Twitter at Anissa Khalifa underscore. You can find me, Farma, at Festa Foster. You can find Dramas Overflowers on Instagram at Dramas Overflowers underscore. And you can email us at dramasoverflowers at gmail.com. Yes, please tell us all your opinions about Boys Over Flowers Extended Universe. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I'm sure everyone has a lot of thoughts. And you can find us on Facebook to search for Dramas Over Flowers and our website where you can find interesting blog posts and articles is dramasoverflowers.net. We just posted an amazing guest post by our friend Anya Diyagar about kissing. <laughs> so go watch that. <laughs> I feel like that's all I need to say. <laughs> It's not really, not not really just about that, but you know, I know my audience. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) exactly. So, Dramas Over Flowers is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you love at frolic.media slash podcasts. You know, the last time uh, Sai and I were doing this recording, um, Sai was supposed to say that line, but we didn't have the script in front of us. And Anissa is the one who usually makes sure we stick to the script. So, instead of saying find more podcasts, uh, we uh, she ended up saying find more dramas you love. And (laughs) I was like, oh my God, you got it absolutely correct. And we just ended it right there. But you know what's funny? I was listening to it yesterday and I didn't even notice them. Oh, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, they did a good job. It was charming. I think I heard that. And then I was like, oh, and then I just didn't think about it. <laughs> you forgave us. Thanks, Rabbi. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.